good to be with you tonight. Merry Christmas. We're the ones who can be merry. I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Let us pray to hear it well. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this privilege. We who have your revealed revelation, we have it in print. We have it in print plentifully often. Help us not to take it for granted. We ask now that by the power of your Spirit, you will especially help us not to take this portion that we've just read together for granted and, and, and to be blessed by it and to apply it to our lives so that we will grow in your grace and that your church will be blessed, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The main, the main subject of this passage is not Joseph or Mary, but the coming of Christ, just as the law and the prophets looked ahead to him in the Old Testament. But this passage also gives us, with its abundant information, a helpful glimpse of what it means to be ordinary, often obscure servants of Christ. <clears throat> As we see in the example of the lives of Mary, just a little bit, but especially Joseph, he intrigues me. Joseph, you know, I've entitled this sermon, Joseph the Obscure, or you could say Joseph the Ordinary. He, he reminds me of myself in so many ways. I'm not a carpenter. I preached and taught the Word of God for, for the most part. But uh, there's nothing outstanding about most of us 
as Christians. We're not noticed, usually, in, in public and, and, and that sort of thing. And that, that's a problem because our culture, in, in every way, on, on the news and in movies and uh, in politics, etc., teaches us to think that we've got to be stars, that we've got to uh, stand in the limelight, that we've got to achieve some degree of fame, and that will give us what the world often calls success, and then we'll be happy. Sometimes the world counsels us to think this way and to act this way at all costs. I was astonished a couple years ago to run across a book that apparently has been a bestseller by a fellow named Robert Greene called The 48 Laws of Power. It, you know, you can get it now in a, in a paperback edition. Um, and, and I'm just going to give you six of these laws. And this man is serious. Um, here's one of them. Never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use your enemies. Number two, conceal your intentions. Number three, court attention at all costs. And then you have, uh, I guess there's five of them. Four, get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit. And last but not least, keep others in suspenseful terror. Cultivate an air of unpredictability. Who wants to be around a man like that? And yet, this is common enough. And as I say, and there's many other laws, there's 48 total, uh, and they're, they're based on that the man, Robert Greene, who writes it, is, is also a, a history buff. And he shares the background through people like Machiavelli and others in, in world history. It's trying to get ahead at the expense of other people. And uh, some of you may be familiar in our denomination with Charles, or he goes by Chuck Garriott, who is the director of one of our own ministries in, in the PCA. It's, it's known as Ministry to State, whereby Christians, pastors, and others get to know politicians just for the sake of getting to know them, seeing what makes them tick praying for them, sometimes sharing the gospel with them. And he says in one of his books, and I'm just summarizing, Washington, D.C. is just full of people who crave and seek power. So, and, and sometimes it's more, sometimes it's more subtly. I, I brought a book with me. It's actually out in the car, but I promise you I'm not going to go get it. I was going to quote from it. There's a wonderful book that uh, Michael Horton has written uh, called Ordinary, about the regular Christian life. And he, he talks about how the world mocks people, who, uh, and not just Christians, but just people who have no ambition to rise from the top, but they're hard workers, they're happily married, they raise a family, they contribute to the lives of the people around them. Um, and then recently, speaking of more subtly, some of you are familiar with the actor Richard Roundtree. He 
played a, a, a detective many years ago, but he was in many, many kinds of movies. And yet he, he, never, he never achieved the level of fame that he thought he should, the level of publicity. And he, he died a couple weeks ago, I think it was. And he was complaining to his father. He was grumbling that he never got the, the affirmation from the public, the, the awards that he thought he deserved. And his, his father said, son, let me tell you something. A lot of people leave this earth not being known for anything. Shut up. <laughs> Romans 12.3 <clears throat> Romans 12.3 says, uh, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. I went, to, uh, I went to seminary years ago now. Doesn't seem possible it was that long ago. It reformed seminary in its main campus in, reform, in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And that was my first time in the South. And uh, I had a friend, one of my classmates, who was ordained and installed to serve a church in central Mississippi in a tiny town, and it was a very small country congregation. And one of his professors at the seminary was Ralph Davis. Some of you know of Ralph Davis. And Ralph come and, came and, and preached at my friend Mike Philibur's service. And it was interesting what he chose to preach from. He chose to preach from Luke 3 at the beginning. You might turn from there. You... We're going to talk now about getting back to being obscure believers. Luke chapter 3, and this, this was his sermon was based on this. And um, at the beginning of 3, you sort of have a, a hall of fame of the high mucky mucks of the time in Israel and a who's who of power. So it begins, you know, 3-1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas, by the way, um, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Notice all that there's seven or eight people there in that sequence who were in control. They're the ones who had the visibility. They're the men who have the power. But then he continues. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And uh, Dr. Davis was pointing out in his and his sermon to my friend Mike and the congregation that he called him in this little church, you can do great things here. Bring people the word of God. Show them the power of the gospel. Serve him wisely. You may never be well known in the world, but you have great things to do that will count for eternity. And I've never forgotten being there at that sermon 
So even as the passage that we're looking at tonight in Matthew 1 focuses on the coming of God in the flesh, that passage also teaches us that being an ordinary, thoughtful follower of the one who came in the flesh is very good because when we follow him with our own everyday lives, we direct the world's attention to him and not to ourselves. Being Joseph the Ordinary, Joseph the Ordinary, and Mary the Ordinary as well, even her, her bearing, bearing Christ in her womb notwithstanding, is, is a good thing. So where does, where does Joseph's everyday Christian goodness come from? What, where does it originate? Where does he get it from? Well, his own wife says in a passage in Luke, when the angel comes to her and says, you are bearing the Messiah, and Mary responds with this amazing statement that also applies to how all of us should respond to God's revelation. She says, may it be unto me according to your word. May it be to me according to your word. In other words, Joseph, as well as Mary, submitted to the word of God. They were raised, they were, they were humble, uh, unknown people, but they loved God. And this is the, one of the things we see um, about Mary and Joseph. And for them, of course, the word of God was the Old Testament. And that's also part of our word today, but we also have, we can't play, we can't claim ignorance uh, toward God because we have the full word that he's given us about Christ in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, Matthew, I mean, excuse me, uh, Mary and Joseph both were visited by angels, but you don't have to be visited by a heavenly visitor saying, thus says the Lord, to speak, uh, to know this word of God and to rejoice in it and to grow in it and to be fruitful. So how did that adherence to God's word in faith, how did that show up in Joseph's life? How, how did it show up that he was devout, that he was devoted to God? Well, first of all, Joseph was lawful. He, he followed the Jewish customs of his time. For example, he was betrothed to this woman he had asked to be his wife. That's sort of, um, that's sort of being engaged on steroids. It is he was legally pledged to marry to be her husband. And now consider this, that before the angel came to Joseph, Joseph already knew that Mary was pregnant. And it was out of wedlock. So he's wondering, who is the man who impregnated my, uh, my fiancé? Um, he knew because of that, that he could divorce Mary and he could do it legally, lawfully, in public. But you see, if a man or a woman 
is really, a Christian is really lawful. One of the things they recognize that's most prominent about being lawful is they can't keep the law. They can't. They can't be righteous. That's one of the functions of the law that God gives us to show that we need somebody else to be perfectly legal for us. And so there is a sense in which if you have somebody who, who really, really knows what it means to appreciate the law and that he can't justify himself, it has an effect on him. He's grateful to God. And that leads us to see another thing that jo about Joseph that's true, and that is Joseph was merciful. He was unwilling, the text says, to put her, Mary, to shame, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. And then there's another thing that's true about Joseph, and there'll be some overlap between these, these qualities. Joseph, thirdly, was obedient. If you look at verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep after his visit from the divine visitor, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And you can also see this in various passages about Joseph's obedience, just following the precepts of the law after his son is born, after he and Mary are formally married in other places in Matthew 2 and, and Luke 2. We won't go into them now. And there's another thing, and that is, again, this is overlap. Joseph lived by faith. Joseph lived by faith. As soon as the angel said to him in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, son of David, that reminded Joseph of something that resonated in his heart. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, or the New Testament counterpart of Joshua. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Joseph is a man who, like all of God's people, even though we have our warts and all, and sometimes we feel we fail and we're fickle, we walk by faith. And by doing this, a wonderful thing happens that fits right into God's plan. And maybe Joseph was not thinking about it this way, but when, when he, he goes ahead as the father, that means, that means that Jesus is legally adopted by him. He is the human son in David's line. 
And Jesus is both fully, not only fully God, but also fully man. After Matthew 2 and Luke 2, Joseph vanishes from the pages of Scripture. I used to be puzzled when I was a boy. Why, why don't we hear more about Joseph? But, you know, and there's not even a remark about how he died or when he died. You know, how old was Jesus? How long was Mary a widow? Uh, but that's just like 99% of the other people, the other saints in Scripture, isn't it? And uh, in the book of Acts, for example, how many of the apostles does Luke talk about? Very few. And only maybe three of them, but especially one, the apostle Paul, at length. Most, most Christians are obscure in world history, but they're very real and God is working through them. They're godly people for the most part, or ordinary people. It's not that they don't achieve things, it's not that they have no ambitions, but they had their sights set in the right direction. I want to be a faithful Christian like Joseph, and I know God will help me to do that. I know he'll help you to do it. And if I'm faithful by God's grace, then my life will testify to Christ and I'll have his joy. I remember years ago, uh, my wife Jody and I, when we were uh, newlyweds, we went to a party at another Christian's house way out in the country in North Carolina. And uh, the hostess had decorated the house so wonderfully for Christmas. And it was warm, it was bright, it was beautiful. Christmas music was playing, we had a good time, we laughed heartily, we, we feasted, we enjoyed fellowship with each other. And then when the party was over, I remember stepping out of that house out in the country, uh, and there was no street light there, it was on a, a country road, and there were a bunch of us at the party, but we walked outside, and the sky was clear and you could see the stars. And I don't recall whether the moon was out that night, but it's the kind of, it was the kind of situation that would have sort of been a harsh reality for an atheist, say, but not for a Christian. Because when you look at that universe and you realize who created it, instead of feeling small, you feel quite large in Christ. You feel like you're not insignificant. You're not, you're not a little microscopic speck who emerges and disappears into oblivion. And that's, that's part of what it is to be ordinary in Christ and yet realize you're wanted, you're loved, you're useful for the kingdom, especially if you're apart with your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. Uh, being, being an ordinary, finite, everyday godly servant of Christ is a grand calling. 
You know, we can think like John the Baptist thought. He, he must increase, but I must decrease, or we must decrease. You can be ordinary, but with Christ's glory in your heart um, and bearing good fruit, life can be pretty splendid in him. I wonder if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read two verses. This, this sums up the wonder and the glory of being an ordinary Christian because of God's grace, not because of our own splendor. In, in chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then just as powerfully, and I think this has more to do in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 18, uh, with, with sanctification um, in our walk with the Lord. And, and Paul says, And we all, 3.18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, perhaps, as I close here, perhaps uh, you are a Christian, you love the Lord, maybe you've been a Christian for many years. Maybe you're feeling, you've been feeling low and insignificant. Maybe, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're, you've been in the habit of wondering for a while, who am I? You know, I'm a Christian, I know I'm going to heaven, I know God loves me, but how can God use me? Do you want to see how significant you are in Christ? Then very shortly, come to the table. Come to the Lord's table and feed on Jesus Christ by faith in your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we are weak and you are strong. And we thank you for your love for us and that it's eternal. We look forward to heavenly glory. We also, Lord, together as the body of Christ, we look forward to what you're going to continue to do in us, Lord. Thank you, just as, uh, just as our brother Eric was uh, talking about, reminiscing about being in this building as the church to think now there's, there's a light on that bell tower. And that's a witness, Lord. I love, I love the towers and steeples of the church because they remind us to trust in things that are transcendent and not on earth. So guide us to profit from what we've seen in your word and especially we thank you not only for the life and the example of Joseph and Mary and millions of others like us who are Christians, people who are saved by grace, by faith. But we thank you for your son through, through carrying out your plan, Lord, who makes it all real. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.